Well, good morning, and it's just great to see everyone this morning, and hello to everyone at home, too, and just so thankful uh, that we are able to do it this way. And again, we've, we've talked for years about doing multi-site, and like I said, we've we figured out a way to do it, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm like many of you. Woke up this morning, raining, dark outside. No, there's two football games on today. And Jan reminded me, you have to go to church because you're the pastor. mirrors and scripture about they're about transformation in our own lives we look into mirrors for sometimes who knows what (laughs) but most of the time we want to get a reflection of what everyone else is maybe seeing maybe they don't pay as much attention but we do so we look into the mirrors but mirrors again are about transformation From the butterfly, I mean from the caterpillar to the butterfly, that liminal space in the cocoon where you're wondering, am I ever going to get there? Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you don't have it up on the screen, just listen because I'm reading it from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Richard Foster talks about transformation. He said, God begins to capture you. First the heart and will, then the mind, then the imagination and the passions. And it's more than just breaking habits. We began to take on the personality and habits of Christ. The best way to escape conforming to this world is not trying to be unlike the world, but allowing ourselves to become like Christ. There's power in that statement. Because many of us have tried, we've tried to stop doing something. Anybody ever been there? But when we began to become more like things seem to start falling off. The reality is they don't even have room. Sounds weird, I know. But they just don't have room in where you're headed. When you look in the mirror, what are you looking for? We talked about it last week when we talked about Scripture and James. And when we look in the mirror, we cannot be like a man that looks in the mirror and walks off and forget what he looks like, where he looks in the mirror 
and looks in God's Word and somehow or another believes that if I can look in God's Word, that transformation thing we talked about doesn't apply to me. God's Word is there not only to know who He is and who you are, but to transform you. At times to, yes, rebuke. <laughs> yeah, times to slow us down, times to correct us, times to convict us, times to move us to a different place, but also times just to encourage us, times to us to read promises of going, this is who I am. And man, is it an encouragement. But to read the Word, Forget what you look like. The Word should be a tool for us. For us to examine ourselves, but to do it truthfully. Remind you of the three questions on the front side of this. There's obviously, there's the, the other version, but these three questions, again, do I put any standard? I don't look to the left. I don't look to the right. I just look right here. Is there any standard that I am putting on someone else that I would not hold myself to? Is there anything that I am putting on someone else that I would not hold myself to? Am, second question, do I have a consistent bent to compare my best to someone else's worst, especially certain people and groups? And the slide, I don't know, I'm sure we have it up there today. I apologize for that. Is to ask ourselves where we fall and what do we do with truth in the wise, fool, evil? Are we wise and walk towards truth? Are we fools and deflect the truth? Are we evil and try to break, we attack the truth? The mirror is about transformation. Again, the mirror is not about me looking at you or you me looking at them. It is here. Because when I change and I become more like Christ, that's the best for everyone else around me. You know, when you become a Christian, and you heard me say this before, this should be good news for everyone that knows you. It just should be. Whether they believe in Jesus or not is not the point. Whether they ever do or not is not the point. But because of now who you're becoming in Him, it should be good news for your coworkers. It should be sure and good news for your family. It should be good news for your neighbors. No matter uh, religion, no matter lifestyle, no matter what, you're a better person. You're different. Should always be good news, not just for you, but for everyone that comes in contact with you. Now, we do know, Scripture tells us, because of the fragrance aroma of Christ, in, in Corinthians talks about sometimes that aroma is life to others, sometimes it's death, right? Because when they're around you, I remember my pastor when I was growing up in high school, actually before high school, but especially when I got into high school and I rebelled against the Lord and I knew God was real, but I, 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 I was proud of myself that I could harden myself where I couldn't feel it anymore. Man, that's a great, stupid thing because you don't want to get there. But I did. Now, I remember in that little small town there in Arkansas where everybody knew everybody. Because I quit going to church at 17 because every time I went to church, most of you know, I got under conviction, so I figured the best way to avoid that was what? Quit going to church. So I did. 
But Brother McCoy, because of, and he's the one I remember the most. And my mom and dad were Christians, other people. But, and my good friend, has one good friend is a Christian. But when Brother McCoy came around, he was the fragrance of death to me. He just loved me. He knew I was messing up. But man, it smelled like death to me. It didn't smell like hope because I didn't want that hope. I didn't want that life. So yes, for some, you won't smell like life. (laughs) But it's good news. It's just good news. So we need to be in the Word. As we step into a world that so desperately needs good news. Galatians 5, 25, 26, and it's after talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to camp on these two verses today. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Have you ever had somebody, like a little kid, people ask me often, or have over the years, why do you walk so fast? Because my dad did. And the only way I could keep up with him was walk fast. I like going with my dad. I like going places with my dad. My dad had a story, if many of you know, and I won't go into all that. His, his leg was almost blown off in World War II. Spent over a year in the hospital. And so what, I think he appreciated being able to walk. So wherever he went, he went with a purpose and a big old hurry. And the only way I could keep up with him from a little kid on was to walk faster because I wanted to hang out with him. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I just thought, as many of you know, this whole month has been around where we are as a culture. Whether you know it or not, I mean, obviously, the questions I ask there, I believe, are for each one of us. If we want to see a different culture, we need to be looking in the mirror individually. That's where we need to start. The word prompts us not to be conceited. Literally, the word there, conceited, means empty glory. Empty glory. Or provoking. Or envying. I had a friend of mine in in, in school. He used to brag. He'd come over to our house. He used to brag on himself all the time. And he was good at sports. And he was an awesome guy. And he's still a friend and all that kind of stuff. But he had a habit of really bragging on himself. And my dad told me, and it stuck with me because I can go to uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He will lift you up in due time. My my dad used to tell me, if you can't do it good enough for somebody else to brag on you, you ain't done it good enough to yourself to brag on you. I think that's wisdom. If you've not done it good enough for somebody else to brag on you, then you've not done it good enough for you to brag on you. My prayer this week on Wednesday the 20th 
that President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will have the best four years of any presidency ever. I don't care your ideology. Obviously, I have an ideology. I don't care your ideology. I have no idea why you would want to be president. Can anybody explain that to me? I just simply can't figure that out. No matter what, where? But what I am convinced of is, if you're going to do the best for your country, and you're going to do the best for, you have to have divine wisdom. And I'm praying over that. And let me tell you this, and please hear me. I am not only not going to spend the next four years trying to delegitimize or tear down someone, not a process you can argue all those things. And you can figure out whether you think something. I'm talking about someone. I'm not going to spend the next four years delegitimizing and tearing down someone. I'm not going to spend the next four days. I'm not going to spend the next four hours. I'm not going to spend the next four minutes trying to do it. I want the best. And where we can agree, I want and hope those who believe like I believe will work there that we've sent there. And take a stand the best they can where we disagree, especially on critical things. But what a horrible life it would be to get up every day and your goal is to delegitimize or tear down someone else. That sounds like hell to me. Can I say that again? That sounds like hell to me. There are terrible drivers in life. And you think I'm talking about the freeway. But I'm talking about why you get up in the morning. Terrible drivers. Hate. That's a terrible driver. It does something way more to you than to the object of hate. It may cause great damage to that other person because you may be pretty powerful and you may have some bents and and angles. But the damage is always immeasurably more to you. Always. You can't be the same. Another terrible driver. Profit only. I know sowing discontent is profitable. For individuals, corporations, medias, politics, blah, blah. We can just keep adding. But man, to get up every day, even your job, even your business you own, let's just take it down to the mirror. Do I get up every day only for profit? Is there something bigger? Is there a bigger why? As you've heard me say over the last few weeks, and again, i got to... Make sure this, but Andy Stanley, when you lose your why, you lose your way. Jan and I flipped houses for years. And we may do some more someday. I don't know, but we've done it a lot. We did it through the 
we did a lot of them during the economic downturn. But one of the things, we had four things that, we, that I went into when I flipped a house. Number one was, I needed to make some money. I'm not doing this just for an exercise, okay? Number two, does it bring value to the neighbors? Number three, does it contribute to the economy? Is it helping people work? Is it putting money at the carpet place or, at, or wherever that is? And four, can we give someone a turnkey job? Because many times people buy a house that's, they can buy it at a certain price, but they don't have the money to do things to it. So can we do that? And that's how we went about it. Now, that doesn't make us honorable or anything. Hey, look, all I'm saying is I went into it with a set of values. And it made it a whole lot easier to operate. Because it wasn't just for profit. Because that way, if I didn't make as much profit as I did on the other ones, and I did the other three, I'm still in good shape. Unforgiveness is a terrible driver. It's much like hate, and I'll just leave it there. Sowing discontent for separation's sake is a terrible driver, whether it's racial, gender, sexual identity. You want to get everyone into their corners and then them just volley things over at each other. You've heard me say over and over here over the years, if sin had a job description, its job description is what? Separation. Separation from God, separation from others, separation from your divine purpose. Separation. Isolation. Now, I'm not saying there should not be some distance, and we all, we're trying to work through all that, and we're trying to be good stewards of, of other people's health, and you can buy into it or not buy into it or whatever, but we're trying our best with what we have. And solitude is scriptural to step away, but isolation is, is dangerous. Intentional separation is sowing discontent or provoking, the word says. I believe that almost everybody in America, I probably agree with 80 to 90%. I may be wrong in that on most things. And that 10 to 20 can be critical things. But I'm saying, though, why not start where we agree until we get to the point we disagree and let's figure out how we got there? I want to know why you're convicted of that. I want to hear your story. I want to have a conversation, not an altercation. That's good. That's good preaching. You know I'm dropping dimes today. I know it just said, do not be conceited, because it's empty glory. I don't want an altercation. I want a conversation. Separation has always been the enemy's most desired tool. 
in a relationship, when you start seeing separation, begin to ask each, ask each other your questions and ask even if it's outside sources are contributing to that separation. Another terrible motivator or driver is shaming. Let me say this about shaming. It's lazy. Shaming is lazy. Pointless, yes. Lazy. When we call someone a name with the intention of shame or silence, when we act like we want to lock them up and throw away the key, when we, can, we, 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 we meld together their behavior with the human, we've hurt everyone. The Word tells us if you're a Christian, Ephesians 6, we do not fight against flesh and blood. I, I, I'm not going to, just because I disagree vehemently with your ideology, I can still love you. We damage, when we do that, any chance of connection, reconciliation for not us and just us and them. But it damages our community. It damages our country. No doubt we need to be clear and say to people, whether we're Americans or Christians, people like us just don't do that. And what I mean by that, our values say that's not who we are. And I get that. And I don't have any problem with calling that out with grace. And I'll talk about here just the kindness. But be very specific while you're calling out. Be very specific who you're calling out. And not generalize. What if we tried to open the door to others or to our community and to our fellow Americans by becoming the sort of person we want to be like? And what I mean by that is, instead of telling them what they should be like and that'd make me feel a lot better, why don't I start becoming the person as a fragrance and aroma? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It would be impossible to overemphasize, as your pastor, as your friend, as your brother in Christ, to overemphasize the fact that love is the evidence that you are born again. I cannot overemphasize that. Because you attend church, because you give, because you do serve somewhere and volunteer, I cannot overemphasize the overwhelming thing is love. Jesus said, love your enemies. Don't you just wish there were scriptures that just somehow or another he left out? Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them 
which despitefully use you. Or they think they are. <laughs> anyway, I'll go back. Sometimes people think they're using you, but God's using you. Brother Paul, many years ago, and by the way, Paul's Promise Movie. Com. You can go see the trailer for that right now. Paul's Promise movie about Brother Paul's life. But he was asked one time after all that, after they had started the church there in the inner city North Little Rock and all the homeless and all the community, and they said, and he was asked the question. He says, Brother Paul, don't you think these people are using you? And his answer was, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. He said for, I don't remember how many years, he said for 40 years, I used God and used, breathed his air and never gave him thanks. I ate his food and never gave him thanks. Oh, they may think they're using me, but God's using me. That's a person who's looked in the mirror. It's a person who understands that just being a caterpillar is not enough. I was born to fly. Some of you need to hear that today. You're born for more. What this kind of love is, it's impossible with man. It cannot be produced by human effort. It is the common denominator of all Christian character. And it is done by keeping in step with the Spirit. I read this poem that I'm going to read to you. And I thought the word kindness, as I worked on the message this week, and of course we can go through the the traits of the fruit of the Spirit, and kindness is one of those. And So I'm just going to camp out on that just a minute today. And it's this. And it's looking yourself in the mirror. Is anybody happier because you passed their way? Does anybody remember that you spoke to them today? This day is almost over and it's tolling time is through. Is there anyone to utter now a friendly word for you? Can you say tonight in passing with a day that slips so fast that you helped a single person of the many that you passed? Is a single heart rejoicing over what you did or said? Does one whose hopes are fading, now with courage, look ahead? Did you waste the day or lose it? Was it well or poorly spent? Did you leave a trail of kindness or a scar of discontent. In the New Testament, kindness is translated from the Greek word that means gentleness, goodness, uprightness, generosity, and graciousness. Kindness is love dealing with others in their faults. Let me say it again. Kindness is dealing with others in their faults. Perhaps 
Nothing more frequently discredits one's testimony. Please hear me. Or even our ministry. Discredits it more than unkindness. And let me say this. No conceivable circumstance can possibly justify on Christian grounds unkind treatment of others. You can't find it. Jesus' word says, love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you or persecute you. Even in rebuke, and there are times we need to challenge things. Do not hear what I'm not saying. Even in confrontation, you can do it in kindness. You can be gracious, factual, bold. We repeat, we never can be unkind. We know it happens sometimes. I love this. I heard this somewhere. I don't know where it was. It says, there's no greater mark of greatness and nobility of character than the ability to correct and rebuke in kindness. Think about that. There's no greater mark of nobility and leadership and to be able to correct someone in love. But let me say this. To live this way, you must be led by the Spirit because you will get things said about you. <laughs> you will almost be seen as weak at times on certain things or you're vulnerable in the sense of you're, if you're not locked and loaded, if you will, it's a terrible phrase probably in this day and age, but you know what I mean by that. And your conviction of who you are in Christ and you're secure in that, people will take advantage of you. And you're going to be able to say what? It's okay. I'm willing to risk that. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I, I don't like that word meek because it seems a little mousy. A little weak, a little spineless. <laughs> but thankfully, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because the Greek word for me here is, is the word that is often used to describe animals whose naturally wild spirit had to be broken by a trainer. Breaking the will to rebel without breaking the spirit to fight. Spirit, strength under control. Breaking the will to rebel without breaking the spirit to fight. See, we complain a lot about our culture. Even at times, we fear culture. But I believe the culture is created by all of us. Either what we speak up about or what we stay quiet about. It might feel as though as times that culture is done to us but it's also created by us. When we are convinced it is done to us, and here's the danger of it, it renders us hopeless. It renders us powerless. That we can do nothing about it. And so we just shrink back. And the enemy got exactly what he wanted. 
Because you did. If you're walking in step with the Spirit, 1 Timothy 1, 7, I think it or second, I don't I have it up there. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I'll talk more about the self-control part next week. See, as a church, we cannot just say, or as individuals, the culture's doing it to us, so let's just shrink back and build walls. We need to step into the great issues of our time. God, we want to be part of the solution of what you're doing in the world. But what it will take, that's opposite, as I read in Romans 12, we can't be drugged down to what the world's doing in their immaturity. The race to the bottom's easy. You don't want to win that race. And you don't want to come in second either. <laughs> you want to race to the top. Now that's where we want to go. And we marvel. And when we look into that mirror, because the second part of looking in the mirror is what? Not just the three questions, but it's also to marvel. And what God has done, and, and look at what He's made, not in an arrogant, conceited way, but in a, it, that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I've been awesomely and uniquely set apart by God. And that everybody I meet every day, regardless of ideology, regardless of race, regardless of lifestyle, regardless of body art, regardless of all these things. They have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And if I walk through this world thinking about that, that everybody I meet, it changes how I get up and it drives me every day. I want to make sure that people I meet today, what was the word said there? Does, any, does one who hopes... We're fading. Now, with courage, look ahead. Did anybody that met me today have a little more hope? Did things just kind of go, huh, I don't know what it was, but I like being around them. There is a giant chasm between me disagreeing with your ideology, ideology and hating you because you have that ideology. Hate or just simply discounting you never crosses my mind. I like that. That God has done his work in me that that doesn't even really cross my mind. I look at politicians and I look at them or whatever it is or even news anchors or whatever, I need to separate. I know it's difficult at times, and I know there's, there's, there's agendas at times. I, I get that. But I can't live there. Again, I'm curious how they've come to that conclusion. I want to have a conversation, not an altercation. I've got a friend of mine that many of you know about that's, that's Muslim, and we've become friends over the last four, three or four years. He's a friend who happens to be Muslim who's about my age. On the surface, we have almost nothing in common. 
I was born, I'm a white guy born in Arkansas of a town of 400, in the hills of Arkansas of 400 people, town of 400 people. He's Indian, born in Pakistan, raised in Rome. Those are two different things. He loves soccer. Okay. I love baseball, basketball, football. I have no clue his political affiliation or leaning. He's Muslim. I'm Christian. However, he has a story, and he is fearfully and wonderfully made. When you hear his story of moving to the United States outside of New York City in, 20, in the year 2000, then 9-11 happens, and raising his children in the New York City area. You need to hear their story. But he asked me one day, he said, Kurt, do you believe in proselytizing? He said, because I really don't. He said, I, 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 he said, I just think as a Muslim, you should not worry about converting others. Just become better at who you are. And, and his thought is, every religion should think that way. Because he told me he was born Muslim, he's Muslim now, and he was born Muslim. And again, he observes, he believes in God, and we just have great conversations. And he said this, we have much more in common as values than apart. What can we work together on? But my answer to him on proselytizing is this. The problem for Christians is that every Christian is converted. It's the only way you can become a Christian. We're not born Christians. My parents were wonderful Christian people, and I was raised in a Christian home, but that didn't make me Christian. I had to have a... It took me a long time <laughs> to have to have a born-again experience with a Savior who loves me, who come to find out was on my side all along. <laughs> he was coming after me, and he was relentless. Thank you, Jesus. I told him about my December 13, 1986, exit 199 in New Boston, Texas. Conversion experience. Where I was headed this way, and the trajectory of my life turned that way. I don't know what all it means for me and him to be friends and his wife and Jan and I to be friends and some of the friends with him too. They gave money to our church during COVID to help with the rent. So if you were helped with rent, our friends there helped you. We know that during Christmas we had those who are Jewish that helped us reach our families in the neighborhood. I don't know what all it means. But I'm convinced of this. Start where you agree Be like Jesus. Be kind. You might find out you agree exponentially more than what you disagree on. At least start there and hear each other out. If we're going to have revival in our country, in our community, in our hearts, we have to become more like Christ.
not just stop doing stuff, but become more like. I believe we look in the mirror, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our country, wherever it is, let's start there. Bring revival, Lord. Bring revival. I'm going to ask the band to come as I close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for laughter. I thank you for hope. I thank you for allowing us to marvel and not be conceited at what you have done in creating us. I thank you that you give us eyes to see, especially being born again, to see others, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, I thank you that you gave us a document, a book, the words to use as a mirror. Yes, to correct and rebuke, but also to encourage and to advance. Lord, we thank you today that this love that you showed us can live in our hearts. And it cannot come from just simply trying. It can only come from walking in step with your spirit. Lord, we pray now for our nation, not only in the wisdom that needs to come, Lord, we can live in the tension. As we've said here, we can disagree with an ideology and love the person because we're people who can live in the tension. We believe in the mystical and we believe in the rational. We can live in the tension. And Lord, I just pray across our country as people have lost loved ones or they're concerned they might, Lord, I pray healing, divine healing on our land. I pray divine healing over bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for divine healing because we know you can. Lord, we pray for our doctors and all those who are working right now to get us there, the scientists, whoever that is. Lord, I pray right now for divine wisdom that may come from a rational bent, but we're okay with that because we believe you gave them the minds. But Lord, we pray I pray today for President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris that your hand will give them insight and wisdom and your mind will, will permeate their minds Lord and I know sometimes we may look and go how can that be Lord all I ask is that you do and Lord there would be agreement where there can be agreement that there would be conversation not altercation for the best for this country because, Lord, we believe that when best for this country, as we say all the time, when, it's, when we're good to others, which we try to be as an example, Lord, I hope we're always best to ourselves. And, Lord, I pray that we're strong, that we can help others. But, Lord, help your church to be that fragrance and aroma that we don't build walls, that we step in. We step in as part of the solution. We don't just let culture happen to us, but we have an impact on culture for your glory. Keep us in step with your spirit and bring revival to your land. We pray this in your name today, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. Would you stand?